Gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Podcast, podcast brought to you by The Wheel. I am your host, as always, Adam Hess, and with me, Spooky Season's own, Michael Myers-Regan. Michael Myers-Regan, how are you doing today? Yeah, baby. Wrong Michael Myers. I'm doing great. Fan-freaking-tastic. I always expect you to have longer intros, so that's when I go for my coffee drink. Hey, Mike. Yeah. As of Tuesday afternoon... Mm-hmm. There is only one NFL team in the Super Bowl era to have more rushing yards, passing yards, fewer interceptions, fewer lost fumbles, and fewer missed field goals than their opponents, but still lose. Prior to this weekend, teams that had done that had been 134 and zero. Who is the team that lost after having more passing more passing yards, more rushing yards, fewer interceptions, fewer fumbles lost, and fewer missed field goals in a single game? Yes. I'm going to guess it was the, yeah, it had to be the the Browns Niners. Giants. Giants. Giants are the first team in the Super Bowl era to lose after having more rushing yards, more passing yards, fewer interceptions, fewer fumbles lost, and fewer missed field goals than their opponent. Oh, that's true. They did not turn the ball over. Well, they had one fumble loss, but. Just throwing out stats for you there, brother. Just throwing them out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Tyrod lost a fumble. So is that is that where we're starting with our, our Monday morning headlines? Yeah, it's just cold open, you know? Oh, okay. Had a had a stat I want to throw out. Also, my other my other thing I had here is uh there's a big week for throwing interceptions off your back foot. Yeah, a lot of them. By my count, just off the top of my head, I did zero research for this, but the ones I could remember were Ritter, Mahomes, Herbert, and Hertz. Yeah, I'd have to go back to watch all three of the... Oh, you said Hurts. Yeah, I'm not sure. That might be all of them, but it felt yeah. like there was a bajillion. It wasn't a good week in general for offenses. Unless it, you yeah, it was kind of a bad Dolphins. week in general for football. Yeah, picking the game of the week from our, our Game of the Week award later, not an easy task, but yeah. I, did, I did find one. All right, Mike, this is our Monday Morning Reflection, typically done on Mondays or Tuesdays. This week, we're doing it on a Tuesday. So the first segment we always have on our Monday morning is that we predict the headlines that are coming up in the day. As we are recording this podcast bright and early on Monday morning before anyone has gotten their headlines up, uh, it gives us a nice opportunity to predict what people are going to say about the weekend that was. So, Mike, my first Monday morning headline this Tuesday afternoon, uh, Brown's Note. Mm-hmm. I get it, like the brown note. <laughs> yeah, there you go. San Francisco, the Super Bowl favorite entering the week, lose to the Browns 19-17 to on a last-second field goal miss by Rookie Jake Moody. Purdy goes 125, one interception, one tutty. McCaffrey and Debo both go down during the game and don't return. Trent Williams gets injured but comes back. We don't know the status quite yet on McCaffrey and Debo. How concerned are you? Scale from 1 to 10. Oof. I put it at like a 5, like a middle of the road. Like there's concern there, not super concerned. More concerned about the McCaffrey part of the story. Yeah, I mean, McCaffrey's on pace to be one of the most impactful non-QB seasons in the last 20 years. Yeah, if he just, misses a significant time, that's really going to hurt them. It just totally changes everything for that team without him. Was this the beginning? Did Brock Purdy finally tip? Have we been right all along? 125, one interception, one tutty. Not quite the tip as much as I want to see. I'd really like to see him go full Desmond Ritter on a game. Oof. 
But it also is bad timing for us. Last week, one of my headlines was about how Purdy was here. Finally, I just oh, had no. to admit that he was good. So Never you know, go back on your priors. That's the moral <laughs> of the story. I'm uh, obviously this week. I just want to point out Daniel Jones finally here. Uh, gonna be big Daniel Jones week coming up. Hopefully, I don't curse him like I did Purdy or anything. Just a big Daniel Jones week. Uh, just some other notes on this Browns 49ers game. The Browns defense is just fucking ridiculous, man. Oh, so yeah. they are allowing a 31.2% success rate right now, which means less than one-third of offensive plays that people run increases their expected points added. 15.4 points a game, 10% sack rate on dro- per dropback. 10%. One out of every 10 dropbacks is converting into a sack. Miles Garrett is going to run away with his defensive player of the year voting. 200.4 yards a game which is the least in the NFL right now. Mike, if you had to guess, what is the second least allowed? What team and how many yards? The least allowed, once again, the Browns at 200.4 yards allowed per game. That's, I'm sorry, is that total offense or passing offense? Total offense. Total offense, my God. That's the second, I'm going to say, is probably closer to like, what, 300 by, I'm going to say 288 by the Niners. Man, you were not that far off. Uh, 260 by the Ravens. Oh, okay. But the Ravens have played a lot worse teams. It's worth pointing out. That is true. And b- despite this, so the Browns knock off San Francisco. This weekend ends all the undefeated teams. So the fucking Dolphins can pop their champagne or whatever. But P.J. Walker was horrible. I mean, just yeah. downright terrible. 26.4 PFF grade. 26.4. 192 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. I I should have went back and looked at this. Did uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson really play that much worse, or was he hurt? Yeah, uh, against Baltimore, where he started, uh, 38.2 offensive grade. So somehow, not worse than P.J. Walker. <laughs> Five turnover-worthy plays. <laughs> My God. Uh, three interceptions. Is it just me, or it feels like a lot of quarterbacks are hitting that three interception mark this year? In a game? I heard a theory that was really interesting on this, that part of the reason we're seeing an uptick in sacks and interceptions is because offensive now, uh, like the rule changes A and B, offenses now, turnovers and sacks are not nearly as detrimental as they used to be. So coaches are like, go for the big play. And with the rules they have in place right now, it's really advantageous to just throw into double coverage and hope for a DPI or to get sacked. Because if you get hit in the head, if their body weight lands on you, it's just a free first down. And because of those rules, we're seeing a lot less injuries on sacks. So this is basically the NFL's version of when the NBA was like, you should really just shoot threes all the time. Either threes or go inside and get fouled. <laughs> like that, that's what it is. The, new, the, the Steph Curry revolution in football is just DPIs. I'm going to call it the Daryl Morey revolution, but either way. Are you doing your fucking Michael Lewis thing again here? Well, I mean, Daryl Morey is the guy who was like, we're just going to shoot threes and drive the fucking lane if you got a problem with it. Sorry about it. We're going to light the world on fire and win zero rings. Yeah, this is, this is the Michael Lewis thing. Michael Lewis was like, Daryl Morey's fixing basketball and Masai Ujiri's fixing basketball, and then only one of those guys ever won a ring. Sure. You ever read Michael Lewis books? I have no, you've mentioned him twice and I have no idea who he is. He wrote the big short. Great. And Moneyball. Great movie. 
and the blind side. No, he did. Yeah. He wrote the blind side? Yeah, he wrote the books all those movies are based on. Yeah. The book is a lot less about the O'Hare family. What is it a lot more about? How left tackles have revolutionized football. Oh, okay. That actually sounds more interesting. But he, he wrote like a shitload of books during the financial crisis about like, here's what the stock market actually is. Like he has a book called Flashboys about people that were like drilling holes through mountains to feed fiber optic cable through it so that they could create or they could buy and sell stocks slightly faster than their competition. How did left tackles revolutionize football? I mean, they've always been around. What did they start doing so differently? Wasn't their job always to protect the quarterback's blind side? I, I don't know, man. It's been forever since I read that one. That's like my least favorite Michael Lewis book. Okay, well, I expect a full report next week. How about you read one of these books? How about I read a book in general? Like, let's start there before I get to... <laughs> Why are you bullying yourself? Book? I don't know. <laughs> it's, what? It's, I'm, I'm an easy what? target, okay? Sometimes I what? need to take it. What were we talking about before this? <laughs> the Browns, their defense. It's too did, good. How do we get to... Anyways, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, I think that that's just an act break. You want to tell me one of your headlines there, Mike? Before we go, I do have to say... No! We talked about Michael highest, Lewis for 15 minutes, and we're highest, moving on. Highest defensive grade for that Browns defense in the immaculate upset was Jeremiah Obusu koromoa out of the University of Notre Dame. Now I'm ready to go to one of my headlines. I, I didn't know he was at Notre Dame. I was going to ask if you just wanted to point that out because you're one of like the 15 pundits online that can pronounce his full name. Oh, that's it. I know. I'll start with the, a softball headline. Not really much depth to this one. Just a simple question for you, Adam. Mm-hmm. What's worse, losing to Josh McDaniels or only beating the Patriots by four points? <laughs> like, did anybody walk out of that game feeling good about themselves? I don't think Josh McDaniels has ever in his life felt good about himself. <laughs> that may have been the meanest thing you've ever said. And you've said some mean things. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't really, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the game, this one. Uh, just going back and looking at it after the fact, but twenty-one seventeen, it happened. The vague, the Raiders are somehow three and three. They don't feel three and three. Uh, Belichick is continuing to suffer probably the most embarrassing season of his life. Uh, I looked up his name and now I can't remember. Is there a chance we could see like a sacrificial lamb and like, oh, Bill O'Brien? Like, do you think? he could be like a sacrificial lamb for PR sake in this terrible Patriot season. Like they fire him. Didn't they hold yeah. on to Patricia and Joe judge calling offensive plays all the last season? Uh, that's a good point. I think that what's much more likely is that we see, we start seeing their third and fourth stringers playing at quarterback, or they make some weird, what the fuck are you doing trade for like Cody Easton or something? Can I, can I tell you what my favorite part of this game was though? What? Do you know how Las Vegas covered the spread on this one? Um, Without looking at the play-by-play like you're doing right now? A safety. Yeah. They covered wow. it on a safety. Mac Jones got sacked in the end zone to cover, or to, for, the, uh, for the Raiders to secure the cover. How many times do teams lose on a safety? Well, they didn't lose on a safety. They lost the cover on a safety. Right, lost the cover on a safety. I'm sorry. I, I, it might be the first time. It has to be. Well, on the, on the Simmons pod, he brought up something mm-hmm. where he said, and I honestly think it's a pretty good call. 
should safe teams be worth more points? I mean, they happen so they're so rare. Like and, right, exactly, and they're kind of they like feel more momentous. Should they be worth more than a field goal? I feel like they should. Yeah, like a safety should be four points. It should be ten. Whoa! <laughs> I'm just saying it. They rarely happen. Imagine I could swing a game. I mean, any time twenty five points. Okay, now you're getting crazy. But I feel like they should be worth at least like. I don't, I don't know. They have to be way more than two. They rarely happen, especially when a QB can just throw like the ball at the feet of literally any target that's slightly close to him, or just you know roll out. I mean, chuck it away, or just roll out and do so. Like, there's so many things you can do to avoid that. So, my next headline. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm on the wrong document. Whoops. Loser leaves town. Like you're a fan of the pro- professional wrestling arts. Ooh, brother, brother. Would you like to explain a loser leaves town match? Yes. So it is a match where the loser has to leave town. <laughs> Excellent. Well put, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. The Bears lose to the Vikings 19 to 17, mm. uh, which means that the Bears covered. Good job, Bears. Good job by you. The good for the Bears. They have pick number one and pick number two because the Panthers also lost. Mm-hmm. Current mocks have them taken Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, Mike, you wanna you got any thoughts on USC real quick before I move on? No, just yeah, they suck apparently. <laughs> the bad. For never the bet against your own team. Is the never bet against your own team. We need to we need to make a, a talent alone gambling manifesto next offseason. Uh, the bad for the Bears. Time to make a big choice. Justin Fields out with a dislocated thumb in his throwing hand. Uh. Once again, some good news there. Justin Fields doesn't throw the ball, so it doesn't matter. You could cut off his right hand. He'll still be the same quarterback, at least. He got hurt early on in the first or the second half, and he had only had 10 passing attempts at that point. <clears throat> but this is the week. It is now time for the Bears to say, are we all in on Fields, or are we all in on a younger quarterback? Because you can still get something for trading fields. In fact, you probably should have traded him last week to get something, but you can still get something for trading fields. And so if you're saying, let's go get us a Caleb Williams, let's go get us a Drake May, get rid of fields now. Send him to, I don't know, the Packers for like a third round pick. You're out on Jordan Love that fast. No, I'm actually all in on Jordan Love, but I think that Justin Fields is a backup quarterback. And then the ugly for the Bears. This could actually take his trade value. Yeah. Like, you're a week too late, Bears. If you had done this last week when he was coming off the first two 300-yard passing games of his career, and you said, let's sell high, move him, go get Caleb Williams or Drake May, you could have actually got something for him. Now, if you try to move him, he's injured and does not look good again. So, in a realistic world, you're not getting a first-round pick for him. You're probably not getting a second-round pick for him right now either. Yeah. Maybe you'll get the Trey Lance package. But the problem there is, I mean, that's hindsight, and also you have to remember the organization you're dealing with. Like, those two good games from Fields were enough to make them be like, yes, he is the guy. We were right. They basically had to use him as a running back last year to find any, like, offensive success. 
and they still were talking themselves going into this season that, yep, Fields is the guy. Hell, I even was on this podcast saying Fields could possibly be the guy. Uh, and for two weeks, it looked like maybe he would automatically turn into one. But the, the jump in play those two weeks was so high that red flag should have been up everywhere. Like, no, this isn't that guy. Like, that's too high of a jump too fast for him to all of a sudden be this dude. Yeah. I do find it. I do. There are a lot of like interesting storylines there. Like, I mean, we talked about the Patriots. Would the Jets be interested? Would... Oh, God. Was that an improvement over Zach Wilson? I don't know. I mean, what's going on with Deshaun in Cleveland? Justin Fields to Cleveland. I would love the. I would love if they brought Justin Fields in, and then he had a lower PFF grade than. Uh, uh, PJ Walker, sorry, my headphones just started playing random music because ESPN oh. wanted to send me an ad, and that really caught me off guard. It'd be great if Justin Fields came in and then had a lower PFF grade than PJ Walker. They just like mm-hmm. keep getting lower every week whenever they put a new backup quarterback in. How much does this game, in your opinion, crank up the heat on Eberflus's seat? Because there's no reason. Like they went into half, and the score was twelve six. There is. No reason that they should have been down to this Vikings team. I don't think they should have been more. No, they weren't out of the game, but I don't think they should have been down to this team. It was a bad Vikings team coming into their their stadium, and their performance was terrible. So I just think this one, even though it was only a one score game, reflects very poorly on Eberflus. Yeah, and you know, like you were saying, like he had ten passing attempts in the first half. Mm-hmm. Our whole thing walking into this game was pointing out that. Fields has been roasting on bad secondaries, and he walked into a third bad secondary, and he only threw the ball 10 times in the first half? Yeah. Like, that's just, I mean, it's bad game design. Yeah, the Bears obviously went into this game poorly prepared to attack the wrong part of this Vikings defense. Do you think, here's my other question about this game. Do we now see the Vikings hold on to Cousins until he walks this offseason? Now that they're two and four, yeah, I think so. I think they're going to hold on, hold on to him either way. I didn't I see them making why. That What's to be know. gained? I mean, it'll be funny when they swerve everybody and resign him. I'm looking forward to it. Give him like a hockey deal, like eight years. Yeah. So worth uh, worth pointing out a couple more things here. They Vikings win the game without Justin Jefferson. Their defense forces three turnovers. And uh, your cousin pointed this out, but Kirk Cousins has four void years left. Effectively, he's a free agent this offseason. And because of the weird contract structure, no matter what they do, he won't add in to their calculation about the uh, bonus draft picks. What are they fucking called? I can never remember what they're called when we do the uh, podcast. Compensatory or? Compensatory like picks, yeah. yeah. So really uh, a who's who of confusing teams that don't have any real hopes. All right, Mike, got your next headline for me? Yes, I do. My next question for you, Adam. Are the Saints the Winnipeg Jets of the NFL? (laughs) Like, I feel like it was... Who's Connor Hellebuck in this situation? Alvin Kamara, I guess. Like, I feel like it was time to tear it down to, like, 
its total like bottom floor and really tank and, and rebuild a couple seasons ago. And I feel like they kept they keep talking themselves into they can be a playoff team, but I don't know. Is it really worth continually trying to become a playoff team to get knocked out in the first round instead of just rebuilding and becoming a good team again? So they're here. They're, they're five hundred. Here are their three wins. They beat Tennessee, sixteen fifteen. They go to Carolina and walk out with a big three point victory, twenty to seventeen. And then yeah, they stomp the Patriots. But who's not stomping the Patriots these days? Uh, their losses. 1817 to Green Bay, 26 to 9 to Tampa Bay, and then most recently 20 to 13 to Houston. Like, yeah, they play bad teams and they can, you know, in more cases than not, scrape out a win. But when they come up against a team that can push back, they lose. So I don't know. It's like the, they're an epitome of just like an average team, but not a team that is in any way set to compete anytime soon. I still don't understand why they even went after Derek Carr because it's not like he made them all of a sudden a Super Bowl contender. I, I guess like their biggest point going for them is they play in a weak division. But... I just rewatched the second half of the Houston New Orleans game, mm-hmm. like right before we hopped on here. CJ Stroud's so fucking good. Yeah. He's so fucking good. I mean, it's like like if you used an AI and put him in a like Detroit uniform you wouldn't even notice the difference between how well those offenses are playing this season and I know that sounds like I'm insulting him by saying he's playing like Jared Goff but he's playing like you know year eight Jared Goff who is like year eight September and October Jared Goff who is like ninth in MVP voting right now and he's doing that as a rookie like CJ Stroud is so good He's just sitting in the pocket, man. He's throwing guys in their breaks. He's beating, like, Marshawn Lattimore on routes. He's just so good right now. But anyways, to go back to what you're saying, here's what I think truly about the Saints. I think that Dennis Smith, Dennis Allen, I don't know who Dennis Smith is. I think Dennis Allen is not a good head coach. I think that if we went back and we had, uh, despite me insulting him on the Friday pod, we had uh, prime Sean Payton with this team, they would be comfortably in first in the NFC South right now. Because Derek Carr is like a fine quarterback. Like if you were ranking, if you just had to blindly rank every quarterback in the league, there's no way Derek Carr isn't 17th, right? Like he's exactly average to below average, but not like below, below average. He's just like fine. And they have Chris Olave. They have Michael Thomas in their like, Robert Woods role. Mm-hmm. They have Alvin Kamara. They had, uh, I almost called him Keandre Miller. They had the, the rookie in the backfield for a minute there. On their defense, I mean, they're fucking stacked on defense. They still have a killer defense. And that's where Dennis Allen excels, is he does a great job calling the defense every week. And that, that their defense is stout. That's why it was such a big test for CJ Stroud going into this game. But on the offensive side of things, he's like too conservative. And this is a team that was known for like, pushing the cap ceiling and they're still kind of reaping the pain from that, but they, they won't go all in and they won't go all out. That's like the good Winnipeg comparison there, but they really do need to pick a lane. And Derek Carr is not a big enough move in either direction. And Dennis Allen is not the guy to get this team into playoff contention. Yeah. I just feel like you could start stripping off veteran players and 
get load up on the picks and just become a younger team with a brighter future. I'm going to go ahead and just tie this into a little game I had th- thrown together. Uh, real quick, I have a, a handful of teams here that are either 500 or close to it. I'm going to name them. You tell me if you think they're a playoff team. Okay. We'll start with the Saints. Not a playoff team. Not a playoff team. Browns. Playoff team. Mainly because that defense is so goddamn yeah, good. Yeah, the defense. I mean, the defense is there. There's like stats that have the defense is like the best defense since that uh, Broncos Super Bowl defense. The Cleveland Browns. Or I just said, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Not a playoff team. Not, not Minshew team. was so bad this week, man. He was so bad. Yeah, there's no more Minshew magic left in that tank. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Ooh. Tough one. Yeah, it is. Okay. What's Seattle's record right now? Are they four and two? They three yeah. and three. They're four and two. Mm-hmm. Fuck, man. Not a playoff team. Oh, I'm sorry. Seattle's now three and two. Playoff team. But, <laughs> uh, the uh, in- interesting one here. They're now 500 despite the terrible start. The Cincinnati Bengals. Playoff team. Playoff Lou- team. Lou Anarumo, so good. Uh, Joey Sly. Uh, Joey Sly. Joey Cool is top five quarterback. Jamar Chase and, and T. Higgins are good. I mean, the de- Trey Hendrickson had a great game, but that defense is just going to show up every week because they have a really good coordinator. Yeah, I feel like you. the only thing with them is it just seems you can run the risk of them, their, the, our offense disappearing. You just never, I just think you don't really know at this point what you're going to get out of them offensively. And then my last one is the New York Jets. Playoff team. They, Playoff I, just, team. I don't know how they keep doing it, man, but they just keep fucking winning games. Yeah, three and three, and they've back knocked in it. off two teams that are significantly better than them. Mm-hmm. All right. Like if Zach Wilson doesn't actively shoot the team in the foot, which is not a given. Like sometimes it feels like Zach Wilson got paid by the other team to fuck everything up, but as long as he's not doing it, there's just enough talent for this team to to keep going. All right, that was my little game. We got All another right. for me. Yeah, I got one more. The Care O Lina. It's a zero. I saw that. The only team left with a zero on either the win or the loss column. The Carolina Panthers, who fall to Miami this week, 42-21, in the least talked about 42-point game in NFL history. Uh, They allowed 429 total yards. Mike, I have a game (laughs) where I just want to go through, and you tell me, when is Carolina going to get their first win? Okay. Week seven, bye week, win or lose. Somehow week someone's going to get hurt at practice and that will be a lose. <laughs> Adam Thielen's going to get hurt in their entire season somehow over. <laughs> yeah. Man, we really got screwed. We, we would have had a really cool stretch coming up here if it wasn't for a, a season-ending injury, but we'll get to that in a second. Week eight, Stroud crowd. They are against the Texans at uh, Carolina. That's a loss. Week nine versus the Colts in Carolina. Hmm. If Minshew's playing, they could pull that one out. Oh, he will be playing. Yeah. Because Richardson's yeah. Mercy on, said on IR. Richardson's done. Okay. So you're saying Colts first win? I, I don't know. They, I, I, no, I don't think so. Okay. Once again, here you go. Here's the one that it has to be, right? Mm-hmm. 
They are at Chicago week 10. Yeah, it has to be there. Has to be there. Because after that, Dallas, Tennessee, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, Atlanta, Green Bay, Jacksonville, Tampa Bay. If it isn't against Chicago, Carolina might be on 0-17 watch. Yeah, I think the Colts with Minshew and the Bears game are going to be their two most likely chances to get that first win. This defense is really bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the defense is really bad. That's why any game you mention, it's tough to say, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll win that one. Because, like, I, I don't know. They could put up that offense all of a sudden, like, they're facing, could just put up a shitload of points. And I love I Bryce know. Young, but he's taking the long route to getting it all put together. I don't remember if you were gambling on football yet for Jameson, Jameson's Jesus, Jameis Williams. I can't do it anymore. Now that Jameson Williams is in the league, I can't say Jameis Williams anymore. You mean Jameis Winston? Jameis Winston. See, I can't <laughs> fucking do it anymore. Jameson yeah. Williams broke Jameis Winston for me. I don't know if you were gambling during Jameis Winston's 30 and 30, but it was that. That season, it, I, going into games, I was like, I don't know who's going to win this because Winston might throw three picks or he might throw three touchdowns or he might do both. All right, Mike, you got any other headlines for me there? Yeah, I guess we can go ahead and talk about it. Let's get into this Bills game. Okay. The we- another weird. It was just a weird week all around. It, it was super weird. This was I mean, this will be like we'll be on in the divisional round, and we'll look back and go, "What the fuck was happening in week six? Yeah, F- very weird. And a weird Sunday was capped off by a weird freaking primetime game, where the Bills really struggled to get going against what is not a staunch. Giants defense so like here are their drives in the first half punt then they go 40 yards pick up a couple first downs Gabe Davis fumbles if you're a believer for me I'm a believer in momentum and more so I think momentum comes from the mental aspect of the game you you'll find it's hard to believe but I'm not you are not at all I know this about you next uh fourth and 10 and they punt from the Giants 37 that makes no fucking sense to me, but why not? Especially since later in the game from a similar range, McDermott's going to go for long field goals in that situation. But okay. Uh, punt. Then they get to the Giants 34, like I said. So three yards farther, now's the time to kick it, and they miss a 32-yard field goal. Then they get a pass that's tipped and intercepted around midfield. You're playing the Giants. Do not give that defense any reason to get hyped up and think they're in this game like i I don't want to go college football here but i don't care if it's fourth and 10 from the giants 37 i'm keeping the offense on the field if you can't get 10 yards against this giants defense then what the fuck are we even doing here instead you just gave them another stop in this giants defense mentally is saying yeah we got this we're in the game when they never should have been come out in the second half and they i think they kind of realize like we're just going to have to slowly get our way down the field First drive was that first touchdown drive was a nine minute and 58 second drive. Basically ate up almost an entire quarter. Went 17 plays to go, eight, 17 plays to go 89 yards. The second drive was the other touchdown, 647, 12 plays to go 75 yards. And obviously that thankfully was enough because after they stopped the Giants on, on fourth down to get the ball at the Giants 38, boring run inside to the left, followed by a boring run inside to the left, both by Latavius Murray. Uh, and then they do the play action boot with Josh throws a little late, a little low Knox still got down there and got his hands on it, but couldn't bring it in. And then what do they do once again, from a similar spot where McDermott decided to punt it, they go for the 53 yard field goal. 
and they miss it. Surprisingly rough day for Bass. And nope, this offense just struggled to click and get it all together. All I can do after this one is say, go to all the cliches. They don't ask how, they ask how many. It's a long season. Teams change throughout the season. You know, they'll make adjustments and they'll figure it out. But this is two very unimpressive performance about this off by this offense. And I'm getting a little worried. I will Are say we I all was just going to ignore when they lit up Miami a couple weeks ago. I mean, I wasn't ignoring it at during the London game. There were so many things people could point to, but there was less things to point to to give them excuses. Luckily, Josh didn't really go hero ball mode. He kept himself in check because I there is a thing when this offense is not clicking, you can tell he gets frustrated. Not frustrated, but he gets antsy and he just wants to make the big play. He didn't go hero ball mode. He had some very good plays in the second half. Uh, still ended up with an 8 out of 9.4. Still played well. People are like, oh, Josh Allen had a big game. No, Josh Allen statistically didn't have a great game, yes. He made some big throws. He came out in that second half, went, started off 11 for 11. His only incompletion was that one to Dawson Knox. So he kept it together. He didn't go crazy. And they pulled out the win. The, what's really not great, along with the offense, was this Bill secondary. I know they didn't get totally light up, lit up, but Benford got target, targeted seven times. The receiver hauled it in six. Elam targeted five, four catches. Teron Johnson got targeted six times, five catches. He also got lucky on the last play of the game because he had a fucking handful of jersey. That was a total pass interference call that didn't get called. Uh, Tyrod, first start in two years, and he didn't make any glaring mistakes that cost him the game. So I'll really? give him a little no glaring mistakes. Day. Well, I mean, <laughs> some may say he made the glaringest mistake. Yes. I don't think he was terrible. I mean, <laughs> he wasn't good by any stretch, but he could have been a lot worse on a Wednesday where we saw quarterbacks handing out interceptions like Oprah fucking Winfrey. A so. Wednesday? Did I say a Wednesday? Yeah. That's weird. That was <laughs> very weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm keeping it together by a thread. Uh, so that that was my my long spiel, my long homer spiel. I'm taking up time on the podcast to talk about my own team. Long is definitely the way I would have put that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that this game. I went back and watched the condensed footage on it yesterday. Um, and it's it's hard to get a little bit of a of an understanding of the flow when you're watching the condensed because it's just like it's just like snap, snap, snap. You're not really seeing a lot of what's going on between snaps. A lot of like the you know, players hurrying on and off and things like that. So it's hard to get a, a great read on it, but it didn't really seem like Josh Allen was playing too much hero ball after half. I think you're right there. I think that he settled down. Uh, I think the Damian Harris injury is obviously pretty scary and seemed to kind of change the direction of the game. But I think he overall played pretty well. I think, but I also think he played well in London last week and got complete shit for a game that he played decently in and the rest of the team didn't. Yeah, I agree. All right, just a quick update. Mahomes and Tua are tied for MVP tied right now at plus yeah. 350 in MVP voting. Brock Purdy still plus 1,000. Jalen Hurts still plus 800, but I have a lot more on that game later. Yeah, I think, um, I think Allen's the vote for MVP right now because I don't think that there's a world that we're going to live in where Tua is going to win MVP and Tyreek is going to win Offensive Player of the Year. And if Tyreek keeps up his pace, he's going to win Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah, it's just... it's. 
high it's like hindsight box score opinions. It's like oh, he only threw for 185 yards. Oh my god, a terrible game. I mean, go back and watch the touchdown pass to Quentin Morris where he's on the move and just fires it into a very tiny window. And people, I mean, I was listening to a podcast where they were like, I, I think that was a bad throw. That was a dangerous throw. You're playing the Giants secondary. <laughs> like there, there is no bad throw. <laughs> yeah, it's the Paul George thing when uh, who was it? Was it Damian Lillard hits the the three like from the logo off the dribble, and Paul George was like, actually, that was a bad shot. <laughs> like, that's what makes great athletes great is when they do things where other people would be like, oh, that was probably a bad decision, but they pull it off. All right, Mike, did you, uh, I'm almost afraid to ask if you had any other notes on the Bills game, but did you have any other notes on the Bills game? No, no. All right. Well, next up, our weekly Monday segment where we go through the Falcons game that was this week. Luckily, this week they played the Commanders, and unlike Mike, I'm not going to give you a play-by-play of everything that happened. Falcons fall to 3-3. Three and three. Uh, Desmond Ritter loses his first home game since high school, which no one ever brought up before until this game was about to start when they were like, 3-1-0 since the start of college when home games. So we should have known he was going to lose going into this game. Yeah. Uh, Commanders hit their plus three and a half because, you know, they win straight up. Under 42 and a half hits. Final score, 24-10. Oh, sorry. Final score, 24-17. Yeah, 24-16. Ritter, on the paper, has a terrible game. You watch it back. It wasn't as bad as it looks. It was still bad. But it wasn't as bad as the stat line looks. The stat line is 28 for 47, 307 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Watching the game, he, he had some drives where he threw the shit out of the ball. I mean, he was playing pretty well for stretches and then just made horrible, horrible, horrible decisions on a couple of interceptions. And that toppled the game for them. The most shocking thing about this game, or really the most shocking thing about the fallout from it, is that I have not yet made that shot of Arthur Smith my... Uh, Twitter or my Twitch avatar. Or, I mean, my my Discord avatar. Desmond Ritter's stat line would have looked better. There was two different twenty-plus yard passes that bounced off the receivers' hands that they should have caught. Van Jefferson beat double covers down the field, and Desmond Ritter slightly overthrew it, but it did hit Van Jefferson's hands. Mm-hmm. And then the next play, Bijan Robinson on a wheel route just drops the ball he should have caught, and both those would have been at least twenty-plus yards, maybe twenty-plus yards and a touchdown. Uh, other important notes, Clayus Campbell gets to his 100th sack. Um, Washington's defense walks in with two interceptions on the season and got three in the day, so now they're up to five. Matt Ryan is slowly turning into the inverse Tony Romo on commentary. At least two times during the game, he said something was going to happen, and then the exact opposite of it happened. There was a Washington, like, first and three first it was first and goal but it's like first and goal from the three with Antonio Gibson lined up in the back backfield and Pat Ryan goes well obviously they're going to hand it off here and they fake a handoff and then pass it to Antonio Gibson for a touchdown and then like a few possessions later it was fourth and four and Desmond Ritter's in shotgun and Matt Ryan goes you can tell here they're just going to try to get the hard count get someone to jump and get the five yards but otherwise they're going to call a timeout and as soon as he finishes talking, they snap the ball. So, not not totally sure Matt Ryan's the next big thing when it comes to comes to color commentary. Yeah, he's kind he's kind of so so. Doesn't get on my nerves as much as Greg Olson. Oh, I love Greg Olson. I think Greg Olson's good. Every comment he makes starts up here and then gradually just goes down. 
and it it every everything he says is like yeah so you know the defender wanted to you know cut inside here but you know it just didn't work out that way there was like heavy coverage or something over the middle and you know that's that's what happened like everything <laughs> is like up and then it just goes down and he's like ah, you know but he's in that commercial where he goes sack you very much yeah like i don't know why everybody picks on tony romo i think he's very good still i I, I kind of get it. Like he, he definitely isn't like season one level Tony Romo, but it's so much fun when you get into a big moment and Tony Romo's calling it, mm-hmm. and you get to break out the Tony Romo impression. This is huge, Jim. Jim, this is the whole game right here, Jim. It's first and ten, sixty seconds into the game. The whole game's on the line right here, Jim. I, I still like the one. My favorite Romoism is still when he does a. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he like always pauses. Like here we go. You see here, quarterback's gonna boot out. He's trying to fight. You know, get it in between these defenders. Ah, it's a tight fit. Yeah, it's incomplete. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is still will ever be my favorite uh, Romo-ism. Drake London has probably his best catch of his career so far in a contested catch down the field on a free play in the fourth quarter when the Falcons are trying to come back. Then that same drive. Desmond Ritter gets a delay a game on third and one. And then the next play they snap as the clock goes from one to zero. Don't know what was going on there. But uh, that, that snap that he gets off there after the delay of game, when they almost got a second delay of game in a row, that's the Desmond Ritter on his back foot throws the interception. The Falcons threw away this game three different times. They had like a horrible call on a fourth down that didn't convert. And then Desmond Ritter throws the pick on his back foot. And then to end the game, Desmeritter throws the game-ending pick to uh, Jamin Davis. And you never, you never want to throw someone the first pick of their career to end a game. Here's the thing. Throws off the back foot, even for the strongest arm of quarterbacks, are still really fucking hard. Because unlike when you're on the move, you can at least kind of like plant one foot and then get more of an arm in it. When you're falling back like that, it, it is really hard. Well, you say for the strongest arms of quarterbacks, like two guys with arm talent this week threw off their back foot into interceptions in Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And then fucking Desmond Ritter's out here trying to do it? What are you thinking, man? Let me tell you something. That is an ugly pick. He threw two different players their first pick in their career. Benjamin St. Juice and Jamin Davis. In in his uh, draft profile, at no point did it say strong arm. Oh, that was never his thing, right? All right, Mike, that's my game Good notes. Job. I don't know if you're ready for it, but do you want to do the PFF grade guessing game? Give me one second just to do this. Here we go, Jim. Here's the whole pod, Jim. They're doing the PFF guessing grade guessing game, Jim. So, you know, Mike wants to go in here. Adam's ready for the, the PFF guessing game for the pa- for the grades. Mike's over here. He's randomly doing it in the middle of the podcast because he forgot and uh, kind of messes up the phone. Yes, I'm ready now. All right, Mike. So I have seven people listed here. I'll give you my top five. Mm-hmm. And I also have one person listed from the Commanders, who I want to see if they're in the top five. I just looked up Falcons. No, we'll get to the Commanders in a second here, all right? We'll all right. just do the Falcons for now. All right. We'll get to it. All right, here are my top five for the Falcons. David Onyemata. Ooh. Very nice. He was uh, third with an 81.1 grade. Drake London. Oh, I'm sorry. He was correct third. 
Uh, Drake London, number one overall at 86.9. Uh, big, big Drake London day. Big Drake London day. Janu Smith. Not on the board. Yeah, him him and, like, if you combined him and Kyle Pitts day into one, they definitely would have been. But I felt like I had to go with one or the other. And I th- feel like Janu Smith had a better day. 60.1. Dog shit. Uh, Calais Campbell. Nope. Really? Mm-hmm. Bud Dupree. No, way down the list, 62.6. Damn. All right, the, the two other ones I had on here, these are not in my top five, so even if I get them right, these don't count. I had uh, Jesse Bates and Jeff Akuda. Nope, this was a weird week. Yeah, I dropped Akuda down the list because he was on the screen mm-hmm. too much. If you're a defensive back and you're on my screen a lot, that's a bad sign. Yeah, so the second one was middle linebacker Nate Landman, mm-hmm. 83.4. He did play. Out of OK State. He, sure, I'm not going to argue with that. I have no. <laughs> uh, he did play 39 snaps, so it's not even a thing where it's like he was on the field for six snaps, and that's why he, yeah. he got a good thing. Next one that you slipped on was Mr. McColl Pruitt. Michael Pruitt? Nope, McColl. McColl Pruitt? McColl Pruitt, an he's 81 like, grade. He's like their third tight end or like big chonk receiver. Yeah, I Ritter feeds tight ends now. That's his thing. Pitts, Smith, Pruitt, the three-headed monster of tight ends. I think they should do a formation when all three of them fuckers are on the field. It's the NFL Targaryens. They have definitely, (laughs) definitely run like a 13 personnel with all three of those fucking guys on the field, right? It's the Falcons we're talking about here. And then last up, you love them. You hate them. No, I think really people just love them. Matt Collins, 79.7 grade. Dude, Matt Collins. Matt Collins like breaks this list. Every week for like at Every least the last week. three weeks, Matt Collins has been on this list, and I watch the games on Sunday, and then I rewatch it on Monday or Tuesday, and I'm like, man, Matt Collins was involved a lot. There's no way he has a top five PFF grade, right? And then every week he does. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a little. I mean, he got targeted only four times, but he got three or four of them, and he averaged three point seven yards of reception. That's pretty damn good. I think he had a touchdown too, right? Yeah, man, Drake London cooked in this game. 157 yards or 100 no sorry 125 yards 125 like that's one thing two weeks in a row Ritter has gotten right yeah. is feed Drake London um all right so if you want to pull up the Washington list and I'll vent here for a second I'm gonna mm-hmm. try to guess their top rated player just their top grade all right all right let's make it fun try to guess their top rated on offense and their top rated on defense oh I don't have this ready on offense but I okay I'll give you my defensive one first because that that okay. way you don't have to do much work you got defense up I do have defense up Casey Tuhill. No, did have a good game. 75.4, only played 18 snaps, but. So was their top rated Kendall Fuller? No, close. He was second. Top Who rated. The Will linebacker, Jamin, is that how you pronounce that one? Jamin Jamin? Davis. Jamin Davis. Whew. Out of OK State. Yeah, on the field a lot. Played very well. Yeah, he, he had the game ending pick. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, on offense, it's got to be Scary Terry, man. Scary Terry had a big day. Gotta be scary, Terry. 80.9 top offensive grade. Just for fun, let's look at Sam Howell's offensive grade. Uh, Sam Howell had like an okay game. I'm going to guess it was like uh, 72.5. 69. Nice. Which I think I looked it up and like, I think the, the average, like an average PFF grade, isn't it like 61 or something? So they start their grading at a 60. Okay, yeah. And then every positive play you have gains a certain amount of points. Every negative play loses a certain amount of points. Yeah, so you finish positive. It was a positive day. 
on the hallow meter. All right, let's hit the uh, the three stars here, then we'll move on to our weekly awards. Uh, third star, Clayus Campbell. Didn't make manage to make the top five PFF grades, but he did get his 100th sack. So, flowers to you, Calais. Second star, David Onyemata. Big fucking game. Only four tackles, not a counting stats kind of day. But one of those games where if you watch the tape, nothing could move in his direction. Sam Howell couldn't move forward in his direction. He was stuffing the run every time it came over there. Big David Onyemata game. First star, of course, Drake London. Huge, nine receptions, 125 yards. Biggest 50-50 play of the game. If the Falcons had won this game, they would have owed it to Drake London after his ridiculous 50-50 ball catch. Can I make one more point before we move on? Yeah. Just want to give Flowers. I know it wasn't the toughest of quarterback competition, but it was nice to see the... uh, Commander secondary after we really hammered on him, I think, in the Friday pod. Kind of, you know, bounce back. They made a smart move having Forbes come off the bench and not being a starter. It worked out well for him. Yeah, Danny Johnson, who has been promoted to replace Forbes, had a great game. And I also got a shout out all transfer portal defense member, Aaron Ebiketti with two sacks. Uh, worth noting, for the second straight week, of the Falcons same game parlay, I missed it by one leg. My only leg, I missed it. Falcons minus two and a half. Mm. I missed it by two. Obviously, the Falcons minus two and a half. And then Hal just gave me the middle finger. He was like, you think it's... I'm going to feed Logos Thomas today? You think that? Nah, skirt hurry. Skirt hurry all day. And his second pass of the game was to Logan Thomas. And I was like, ah, oh, Mike's going to hit. Nail this yeah. one. Yeah. Might have been his only pass he got. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike. Let's uh, go on to our weekly awards now. For those of you who are new to the podcast, every week we have the same list of awards we give out, and they never change, and there's never any random ones that we come up with as a spur-of-the-moment decision. I never talk. I never talk. Mike, uh, kick or receive? Receive. Damn, you never receive. Tell me that. (laughs) All right, I'm just going to put our weekly ones on there and then we'll just free space it after that sound good yeah sounds great uh all right we only have three weekly ones this week right hey eh? uh no we have one two three four. Oh, Unle- yeah unless the last one you added was supposed to be a free space for you it was but we both have notes on it so we'll keep it in there yeah. all right mike with your first of the week we spin the wheel and you get the Brandon Staley Memorial Worst Coaching Decision of the Week Award. Okay, awesome. I actually had this spotted in like two awards and then whichever one I got first, I was going to go with it and then I had to back up for the other award if I got it as well. So I'm going to go with kind of poor game planning all around for Eagles offensive coordinator Brian Johnson. Not a very good game. Late in the fourth, up two, he was just tempting fate prior to that interception he had a qb who had already had three of his turnovers a fumble and two interceptions and he decided to throw it on four of those eight plays when they were up and i give you two i understand one you're only up two you want to go down there try to get some points on the board to really put it away but if you can't do that you know what else is a good idea even though it sounds boring punt the ball and make zach wilson go 75 or 80 yards for a touchdown (laughs) I mean, it, that would have been the better situation. Instead, he tempts fate by continually having Hurts throw it and picked off. We saw 
how that turned out. I also just got to say, Hertz had 50 dropbacks, 45 attempts, three scrambles, and two sacks. That I guess he didn't like look back at how how distinct like to run this offense, but it was not having Hertz drop back 50 times. That's just not going to work. That's not how I think this team is built. And uh, just a a very poor game plan. Worth also, noting for the Eagles game, they did lose Lane Johnson for the game, who is one of the best right tackles in the league, if not the best. Um, and losing him is a, a big issue. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, you're right. Like the stink loved to have Hertz run. And for some reason, they're not doing it this year. Maybe they know that they're playoff bound regardless and they don't want Hertz to get hurt. Mm-hmm. But having 50 dropbacks and only three scrambles and zero designed QB runs that aren't QB cheeks. Mm-hmm. It's not, not a great look there, Stink. Yeah, and when you looked at it, you take out the three scrambles by Hertz. They only had 19 actual run plays that went on out there. And with the game that low scoring, without looking at the box score, you would think, oh, these teams really like ran the ball, chewed up time. Not the case. And just to go back to my point about kicking the ball deep and, and pinning the, the Jets deep, you held their defense to only three points in the second half. They only had 236 yards of offense all over together. What were you afraid of? So, yeah. Brandon Staley, uh, worst coaching decision of the week. I really turned it into just worst play calling of the week. It's all right. My, my uh, winner for this award was a, a player. So, okay. neither one of us actually had a coach. Right, so I know we don't both give our awards on this, but I'm just curious. Who was it? It, it was Terod Taylor. For audibly into a run. Oh, yeah. That's the worst you, coaching decision of the week. You see that one formation they came out in? I think it's considered the T formation. You got the QB and then three guys lined up in a row behind him. Oh, yeah. It was wild. So, some Bill Belichick watching 1981 Detroit Lions or something. Shit. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike. Spin in the wheel. And our second of the award of the week going to Adam is the Taco Bell Hottest Seat of the Week Award. Uh, I'm going off the board on this one, Mike. A little surprised. Mm-hmm. A little surprising one. Is it too early to say Frank Reich? Hmm. First year, correct? Yep. Three and three? Uh, zero and six. Oh, that's right. I was thinking he was still co- uh, head coach in the Colts, apparently. We were just talking about the stink for like 45 minutes. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I'm running on a non-existent amount of sleep. I apologize, everybody. I don't think so. 0-6 is really bad. Uh, not too early. No, I'm going to say not too early. There is only one coach behind him in Coach of the Year odds mm-hmm. who lost this week. Is it Eberflus? It was Everflus. Yeah. Nailed everyone it. else. Everyone else. I'm, I'm sorry. I should say everyone who, who's coach of the year odds were shorter than his. Besides Everflus, won. Rowboat Ron, Robert Sala, Josh McDaniels, Kevin O'Connell. All of them won. Mm-hmm. Starting, you know? Frank Reich supposed to be the QB whisperer. That was his whole shtick. And he doesn't look like it a single time as a head coach. Are we just going to Adam Gase this guy? Should we just, you know? 86 him out of the fucking NFL? Like, maybe Frank Reich just is not a good head coach. Have we come to that understanding? Guess what? Dennis Allen and Frank Reich would be an all-time coordinator pair. Maybe neither one of them should be head coaches. Yeah. 
I have a, I agree, and I have I have someone who is slightly similar uh, to that that I'll mention in our our final segment as one of those coaches where you're like maybe coordinator is just where he belongs. I'm not going to say his seat is fire sauce, explosive diarrhea hot, but I will say it is. They've turned the burner on. It's like salsa verde, but someone put like a serrano pepper in it. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike, spin in the wheel. Also, worth noting, uh, you, by the way, your next one's going to be the person you most middle suspect award. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> worth noting, uh, the part of the reason I think that it's, there's a chance that they make the coaching move in the middle, it is Frank Reich's. Like, the, the, the Panthers don't have their own first-round pick. There is no incentive for them to lose. If they want to make a change and say, eh, let's see if Ajiro Evero can coach an NFL team, and they get win a couple of games, that is better for them than just running it out with Reich and ending up going like two and fifteen. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add on to that. You're spot on. <laughs> All right, Mike, your award. The person you most middle suspect. So am I looking for like a average player on an average team? Was that the point of this award? I did I did the most average team in the NFL for this one. Okay, so I went with like that average player on the average team that you most middle suspect, but can sometimes have a, a very, a very effective day. You know, oh, the one that kind of, you know, you know, like that guy who like in fantasy, you're like, ah, should I start him? Should I not start him? You never know what you're going to get. And I'm giving it to Jacoby Myers comes out, goes five for six, five for 61 has the touchdown. He is the epitome of like, not a wide receiver one, and any week he could pop up and put up a solid stat line on a very average Raiders team. Yeah, I, I've watched a lot of the Raiders this season for some reason. And so this pick seems kind of weird to me because like I, I was actually like, actually, I think Jacoby Myers is good. But I think the problem is that I have Devontae Adams in fantasy. So I just get upset every time Jacoby Myers catches it. So I just mm-hmm. remember every Jacoby Myers catch. I just pulled up his stats. It's like, okay, yeah, like. 33 yards, 75 yards, 61 yards, one touchdown one week, no touchdowns the next week, one touchdown the next week, no touchdowns the next week. Maybe right. He might be the most, the person I most middle suspect. Well, I'm glad not, I didn't totally understand, like, wasn't totally sure where you're going with this award, but I'm glad I gave a acceptable answer. I do appreciate that you didn't consider asking me what I meant by the award until we were already live on the podcast and you got rolled for the award. I do I do that a lot. Like if I don't understand like one of your headlines, I'm like, oh, I'll try to figure it out on my own. <laughs> I'll sleuth it out. Yeah, he's uh it looks like he's averaging sixty nine point eight a game, I think. Yeah, like like just under seventy yards a game. Yeah. That is incredible how average he is. Yeah. Because like I said, he's been my boogeyman. Like every time he gets the ball, I'm like, fuck, that should have been Devontae. He's he's that act actor that pops up in movies and like supporting roles and like nails it but you're like he's never gonna get a lead uh mark evan jackson it's the mark evan jackson award for the player you most middle suspect oh yeah and you're talking about so nice. i believe you, you get the final award i was which... gonna say you want me to i to spin the wheel or do you want to keep talking about mark evan jackson yeah, i think uh there's only one award left do you need to only spin one the award left that is the game of the week I went ahead and gave it to our prediction. I just said it was still the Monday night game. It was a bad week of football. But this Monday night game was outrageously fun. I was doing the, like, millennial ass too many things going on at once during this game. I was watching hockey and football at the same time. 
And I progressively found myself watching less and less of the Blackhawks game and more and more of Monday Night Football. But Dallas tops LA 2017. Chargers almost, this is what makes the Chargers game so fun, is that it's like two forces pulling in opposite directions. It's like if you had a truck and a speedboat, and they were like anchored to each other on a beach, and then they both just hit the gas at the same time. And you don't know what, who's going to win, really. Like, has this analogy gone on too long? No, no, no. I think it's, I think it's like Brandon Staley is doing whatever he can to lose games. Like Brandon Staley owes a lot of money to a bookie who took on too much cash for the chargers over. And so he's like, we got to lose this game guys. And then on the other side of things is Justin Herbert just chucking around. Like I definitively have Justin Herbert as the third best quarterback in the league. It is Allen's and Mahomes are like one, a one B depending on the week. And then Herbert is like definitely three. Even injured, like Herbert's still just fucking slinging it. And he didn't even look good in this game, but there's always just that chance. Like every time he drops back, you're like, this could be a 75-yard bomb to Keenan Allen on a dime as he's going out of bounds. And they almost Mr. Magooed themselves back into this game. They were like sleepwalking with a pizza on their face across a steel girder about to tie the game or take the lead and then just fell off. Herbert... Throws the pick to Stephon Gilmore, but they were in it, man. They were marching. Um, Herbert didn't really look good in this game. And then on the other end of things, Dak looked like really sharp. Like his stat line wasn't insane, 272 and one touchdown, but he just looked good. He was running the ball. He ran in for a touchdown early. He was getting out of the pocket when there was pressure and throwing on the run. I don't know what happened, but Dak looked really sharp and Herbert did not. But still, we get to the end of the game. Mike McCarthy's made mistakes. Brandon Staley's made mistakes. Their defenses are fucking up here and there. Asante Samuels is getting horrible penalties. And the Chargers are still fucking in it. Every game, every game the Chargers play, it is going to come down to the last possession. Yeah, real quick. I made a, I did a, a little same game parlay on this uh, just for fun. And it went very like strikingly similar to my Falcons parlay in that I missed two of the four legs. One was obviously I took Chargers money line because I love Justin Herbert. I couldn't help myself. And I'm constantly fading the offense that is led by Dak and Tony Pollard. And the other one I missed, once again, these tight ends fucking me. I took Jake Ferguson over on receptions. <laughs> I don't know why I keep doing this to myself, but I was very proud of myself that I nailed Palmer over 40 yards and Keenan Allen anytime touchdown. Uh, I agree. Big 20 points on the board may not look like wow big bounce back offensive game for the cowboys but after seeing just how bad that niners game went, this was about this was a, a bounce back game for uh, this cowboys offense not the most exciting game but it was second place in in what would have been in my my game of the week award it, it was just it was one of those like this game looked really good on tape it's like when mm. you go, used to go back and it, or the, the opposite is when you used to go back and see like the uh, when you go back and watch the tebow games and he would like look at the stat line. It'd be like, you know, Tebow was like 15 for 18 for 157 yards, but he ran in two touchdowns. And you're like, oh, Tebow had a pretty good game. And then you watch the tape, and it's like those three incompletions were interceptions that hit the safety in the face mask, and they were so surprised that they dropped the ball. It was yeah. like Dak's stat line here doesn't, you know, it's nothing to write home about. No one's going to put this in any record books or anything. But you watch the game, and it's like, this is the Dak Prescott that scared the fuck out of me his rookie season. Yeah, because you know what he did this game? Ran the fucking he ran, ball. He ran the fucking ball. He had the 18-yard 
touchdown run. I mean, he had 40 yards on the ground on the, those four four times he took off. I mean, he fi- That's a big part of his game that I feel like he shied away from after that really tough, that was his ankle that I think snapped, right? Yeah, uh, compact yeah. fracture. Compact fracture, yeah. Uh, that's something he definitely was more, I think, skittish to do. But he's got, if he gets that part more confident in doing that, he can become the quarterback that I think he once was. Props to Stefan Gilmore. Old man I mean, Gilmore. Old Game man Gilmore. Pick. The the weight got even heavier on his shoulders after Trayvon Diggs went down. All right, Mike. It's time for our weekly bonus awards. I don't know how many you have. I just have one this week, but I got did you. Uh, you want to you wanna throw out your first one? Yeah. So my first one was the, because I do this every time I, I talk about a player, the he went to Notre Dame award. <laughs> Uh, we'll say it goes to the best Irish alumni of the week. And that goes to Kyron Williams, 158, running the ball, averaged 7.9 a carry, and got the tutty, has taken over the Rams' backfield, maybe the greatest Rams running back of the 2020s. Uh, worth noting, he did get some kind of banged-up injury, so his status is questionable right now. I'm going to guess he plays, mm-hmm. just because it's like one of those, like, oh, his quad's hurting. And then by like Thursday, he'll be a full participant in practice. But he is a little banged up still. Can you hear that? Can you hear the ambulance? Yeah, what's happening out there? All those violent know, crimes in Chicago. It is. That is the weirdest cadence I've ever heard for an ambulance. Uh, but yeah, Kyron Williams has been off to an awesome start this week. Um, he's the second best Notre Dame player in the NFL because the best is obviously Ian Book. But not in the NFL anymore, but. Okay, then Chase Claypool. Is Manti Teo playing anywhere? No. I'm really running out of Notre Dame players. I, I got to be honest with you. For a second there, I thought you were going to be serious because there's your love of, of offensive linemen and there's many you can name. There's no like dominant Notre Dame offensive lineman going on right now. Like, who's who's the best Notre Dame lineman in the NFL right now? I mean, I don't know. Has Quentin Nelson's play dropped? Or yeah, he, he got a, a knee injury a couple seasons ago and just oh, hasn't yeah. been nearly as good. It's not been the same guy. Hey, Michael Mayer finally was like a, like factored into the offense this week for the Raiders. Yeah, which once again, crazy. being a Devontae Adams fantasy owner, fucking great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's up with Brian Hoyer coming in and being better than Jimmy Garoppolo just straight up? Anyways, we're getting off topic here. We're getting off topic. All right, Mike, my first or my only bonus award this week, the 2010 Cincinnati Bengals Award goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who although they have quietly won three straight, and sit in first place in their division. If I said, I'm going to take a bet for $1,000, the Jags are going to lose in the wild card round. Would you take the opposite? Would you take the other side that they will win in the wild card round? I think they'll lose in the wild card round. They are the team that is most obviously going to lose in the wild card round. Just looking at some of their statistics here, 17th in offensive EPA, EPA per play. 11th in defensive EPA per play, 10th in scoring, 9th in Super Bowl odds. One of those numbers is way too high. Mm-hmm. I get it. We're kind of buying into the dip. You're, you got to say like, oh, Trevor Lawrence is better than this. And Doug Peterson is better than this. And there's, there's pieces on that defense. But this team, it's like Trevor Lawrence is throwing, like his 1A receiver is Calvin Ridley. Even when Calvin, Calvin Ridley was on the Falcons, was anyone ever saying like top 15 receiver? And this offense just can't move the fucking ball, man. And funny enough, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think Calvin Ridley is making a lot less than Christian Kirk. 
Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's worth knowing is that Calvin Ridley is cheaper than Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk is a complete non-factor, by the way. Yeah. Like, they're... Their most effective play-to-play receiver might be Evan Ingram right now. Travis Etienne isn't doing anything compared to the other top-end running backs. Like, they've had so many players drop touchdown passes. Like, I, I think that Trevor Lawrence is still playing well, but the other things around him just aren't clicking. I, mm-hmm. it, this, he's, he's like Andy Dalton with better PR. <laughs> I mean, he's playing better than Andy Dalton. That's what the numbers are. If you compare physical tools, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is a little bit better than Andy Dalton. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. So uh, my 2010 Cincinnati Bengals award for the team most likely to lose in the wild card round goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is too funny because my next free space award is is very similar. It's the I don't care. They're still mid award. And it goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> so, yeah, they put up uh, 37 points. Pin a rose on their nose. They were playing Gardner Minshew, who turned the ball over four times, and they put up a whopping 233 yards of offense. I don't care what you say to me. The Jaguars are still mid. Yeah, they got to uh, run out a few games where they put up 30-plus points for me to start believing in this team. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike. Usually this is where we end the podcast, but we do have a, a little quiet note here about uh, some head coaching candidates to start thinking about. Bonus segment. Bonus segment. And only an hour and 20 minutes into the podcast. And we'll hit our usual 130. So I figured we could just do this pretty simply. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how many you have. I have like six written down. Oh, well, I thought I was worried I was going to have too many. I have four. Okay. I, I think that what we should do is just draft them. Each get a team of three. I could put out a nice little social, social like fucking graphic about it. And then mm. whoever wins is the, the person with the most candidates to get a head coaching job next year. Okay. 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 Okay, Adam. Adam okay. okay. All right, Mike. Heads or tails? Tails never fails. I was looking for a coin bound have one. Someone's going to Google coin flip. All right. It lands on tails. So you get the first pick in our head coaching draft. Oh, this is a tough one. Is it? First, first pick it? seems easy to me. Well, because I didn't know this. I hope how... you fucked this up. I, I didn't know this is how we were going to do it. So I have some where I'm like, could it happen? But I have like, you know, so I'm going to go ahead and go with the one I feel most confident about. And that is Lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson. Yeah. Obvious number one pick. That's the, the Trevor Lawrence of this draft is Ben Johnson. Yeah. Last two years in um, Detroit point differential, sixth and ninth points scored fourth and fifth, fourth and yards both season. He somehow unlocked Jared Goff, similar to how McVay did it in that first year the fifth and eighth best passing attack the last two years. And he also has 12 years of coaching experience in the NFL. And I think that is a very big thing. So that's my first pick. He's also pretty young. Mm-hmm. He's he's, I mean, he's the next kind of McVay guy, which is cheating because it's Jared Goff and he's part of the McVay tree, but he's kind of the next McVay guy. I just worry because his name is very boring. I was trying to think of who has like a really boring name. Who has the most boring name as an NFL head coach right now? Pete Carroll. Yeah. Or who, what's the uh, former Eagles DC? Jonathan Gannon. I know that's pretty cool. Yeah, and then yeah. obviously it can't be the other one because the Stink is a, a great name. Oh, it's an elite name. Elite name is the Stink. Yeah. All right, Mike. My first pick. I'm uh, I'm gonna game the system a little bit here, and entirely bet on a guy getting promoted after someone else is fired. I'm going with Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, almost yeah. made my list. 
I don't know if I think of him as like the best candidate candidate here. Um, I think that the offense really bounced back this week, but he is currently a co-head coach and the offensive coordinator. And Robo Ron is on a very, very hot seat. Damn near Taco Bell hot seat of the week levels hot seat. Yeah. Currently, by the by the way, by betting odds, Ron Rivera running away with it, minus two thirty to be first coach fired. So if depending on how we're making the rules on this, where are we making the rules? Like head coach come kickoff next season or just the next person who will be in some capacity a head coach? I think we should go get like gets hired. Yeah. This okay, year. so it it if Ron Rivera gets fired, B enemy takes over, that doesn't count. Yeah, it counts. Okay. Yeah, then Eric B enemy, sticking with that. Because I think uh, I think Robo Ron there probably getting canned going into the bye week, maybe right after if they lose a couple of winnable games. I could think we could see him step up into the number one position. Okay. My next pick. Only been with the team he is his current team he is this is his first season with him. An interesting one. San Francisco defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes. Playing the odds there, man. Yeah. You're like playing the odds. What there. team keeps getting their defensive coordinators? taken away to be head coaches elsewhere. Yeah, well, you can't go after their offensive coordinators. Well, it worked for McDaniels, so never mind. Uh, 54 years old, which is still not, I mean, kind of middle of the pack when it comes to head coaching ages. Has a lot of coaching experience. Uh, he was the Panthers defensive coordinator before this. He got more out of that defense than he probably should have with the roster. And when he took over as head coach, he went 6-6. Six and six. They started 1-4. and four. I mean, he did really well in short term. I'm I'm surprised that the Panthers didn't give him more of a serious look before going with uh, Frank Reich, who that's turned out fantastic. So I like it. I think Steve Wilkes, it's time for him to get his first shot. I think, yeah, I think that's a good pick. Um, there was a lot of people that were surprised when he didn't keep the job. In fact, after he lost the temporary head coach job, that's when he left. He was like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. You should have given me a shot with the job. And instead, he brought in Frank Reich, and he left and then went over to San Francisco. Notably, the last two defensive coordinators of San Francisco, Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryans, have gotten head coaching jobs. And so D'Amico Ryans going to be coach of the year this year. I stand by it, goddammit. Probably should be, the way he's, he's playing so far. Coaching. Coaching. <laughs> well, the way he played, too. Uh, All right, so... Now I'm, I was gonna I'm gonna hold off on this one. See if I can get him in the third round. Uh, next up, Lou Anarumo, Cincinnati Bengals defensive coordinator. Here's a guy that just gets more out of his teams than anyone ever expects. He has by far been the best against top tier quarterbacks in the league with smaller players or, or, or uh, less star power. Um, he replaces Jesse Bates with Dax Hill. Familiar? Familiar with Dax Hill's work? Oh yeah, watched that kid play for years. And continues to stand up to the test. Um, the best player on his whole defense might be Trey Hendricks. Hendrickson? Trey Hendrickson? DJ Reader? I mean, like he, there's some pieces there. But this is a guy that gets more out of his limited star power defense than anyone else in the league. And has been routinely good against top-end talent quarterbacks. Which, if you remember back... How Brandon Staley got his job was by being good against good quarterbacks. Lou Anarumo has been kind of in those circles, being talked about, being talked about for a few years now, and I think that we could actually see him get a job this offseason. Yeah, I think I do. I like that pick. I think in some circles in the media, 
he gets overlooked a little bit. This the Bengals defense, I think, does because, you know, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase and company obviously take most of the headlines. But that Bengals defense continues to be a part a very good part of their success. I, I like that pick. You know how you were saying Steve Wilkes is a little old at fifty four? Mm-hmm. Lou Anarumo fifty seven. So you, you gotta get it at some point, right? Yeah, I mean Pete Carroll's seventy five, so gum chewing ass. All right, so my third and final pick. Third and final pick. This is a tough one. I mean, I was looking at two guys who have previous head coaching experience that have excelled going back to their their coordinator roots. This is the one I decided to go with because I'm kind of a fan of his. Browns defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. All right. There's the question. Is he just a better coordinator? Does he want to take back on that pressure? I, I think he does want another shot. Uh he has consistently I have a soft spot for him because in 2014 he came in as the Bills defensive coordinator and we had a great defense that was the final Doug Barone year and after Doug Barone left I was like we should give Schwartz a shot and then they brought in Rex Ryan and similar to um Steve Wilkes once Schwartz got kind of passed over for that he was like well fuck that I'm out of here he went over to Philadelphia his for four years his first two seasons very good defense then it started to trail off uh, in the next three, I'm sorry. He was kind of out of the league for a little bit. Um, but then he comes back this year, first year as Cleveland's defensive coordinator. And we talked about earlier, this defense, arguably the best in the league. I think it's time, if he wants it, Schwartz deserves another crack. He had some some really good years in Detroit, even though it kind of ended poorly. Yeah. And Schwartz is like the opposite of like Luana Rumo. Like Luana Rumo is like we're going to get our guys in a position for them to stop this top-end quarterback. And Schwartz is like, I know how defensive players like to play. Let's just have them show up and hit gaps really hard. Yeah, And it's working. I mean, that defense is outrageously good. They're stopping every kind of offense they go up against. I mean, you look at the top two defenses in the league, and or, you know, the top three, and you kind of come to a roundabout, like Dallas is in the conversation and Cleveland's in the conversation. And they played San Francisco on back-to-back weeks. One of them dismantled San Francisco and one of them let San Francisco hang over 40 points on them. Yeah. And I, I put a little more stake in yards than I do points because there's certain things, you know, turnovers and there's certain things that can affect a game where, you know, the opposing offense could have like a really short field and it isn't really fair to put that on the defense, but first in passing yards allowed fourth in rushing yards. I mean, that shorts, is in his bag this year. All right, your final pick, Adam. So this is the guy I was kind of hoping I could get in the third round. Like all late-round picks, the point is to take a shot on upside. And it is too soon when you start thinking about how do people get these jobs. But I love what I've seen so far. First-year coordinator, Bobby Slowick, out of the Houston Texans. Not not the most efficient pick, kind of like taking a running back in the first round. But I'm hoping to get my Bijan Robinson out of this guy. I love what he has done with CJ Stroud going into the season. They are running stuff to make it easier on him. They're running a lot of play action. They're running people in motion. They're rotating in different sets and running similar stuff from the same concepts. They're being aggressive. They're throwing downfield. Immediately, they recognized what they had in CJ Stroud and started playing to his benefit or playing to his strengths. And part of that is you got to give flowers to D'Amico Ryans showed up defensive coordinator didn't start calling things conservatively. They are a pass heavy team and you don't see that a lot out of first year defensive minded head coaches. 
But Bobby Slowick has put together a great, great offense for C.J. Stroud, and I'd love to see him get a head coaching job, perhaps somewhere on the East Coast. They might have a coaching vacancy this year. Panthers? Fucking Washington. I know. Jag. All right, Mike, just to review our head coaching draft here, you walk away with Ben Johnson, who was the consensus number one overall pick, Steve Wilkes, and Jim Schwartz. I walk away with Eric Bieniemy, Lou Anarumo, and Bobby Slowick. Those are both very good drafts for us. Can I, can I throw out a couple names that I, I passed on real quick? You can throw out one. Okay, I'm going to throw out two because I'm a rebel. Uh, I had Frank Smith, but offensive coordinator in Miami, but I think that's a situation similar to, I think, Reed and Bieniemy, where people will be like, is it really him? Or is it a lot of McDaniels? The other one was similar to Schwartz. And Steve Spagnolo. I don't think gets enough credit for how good... He has a very good track record with that Chiefs defense. I don't know if I like him as much on some of his previous head coaching experiences. Yeah, my, my one that I had in my back pocket in case you took two of my players... Um, cause I had Ben Johnson, obviously, which I didn't get, but my one, I, I didn't have to worry about was Mike McDonald, defensive coordinator for Baltimore. Baltimore's quietly putting together a really good defensive season. And you don't have to look any further than the, uh, I, I, I Patrick Queen, Roquan Smith. You don't have to look any further than how those guys are playing together. Patrick Queen was like a very rough athletic player. Mike McDonald comes in, they trade for Roquan Smith. Suddenly they're using Patrick Queen exactly how they need to. They're using Roquan Smith exactly how they need to. They're getting hella production out of Jadeveon Clowney. Um, Kyle Hamilton, who they moved from corner to safety, back to corner, back to safety, has just been playing exceedingly well. There's your best Notre Dame player in the NFL. Yeah, damn right. Hamilton played safety in college. I never understood. I mean, he is, I think he's um, taller than most NFL safeties. That's probably why they got the idea. And he has Mm -hmm. some good length, but... He's, he excels at safety. Uh, Kyle Van Noy also playing well. Just Kyle Van Noy. They're just they're getting production all over the field. Uh, so and that's if I if I was a GM or an owner, and someone came to me and said, Adam, we want to hire a head coach. What do you want? I want the guy that gets production regardless of the players. I don't care about how well an individual offense played in the season. With you know, like it, it's like hi- the problem with hiring away someone like Mike McDaniels where it worked out, but you're talking about a guy that was listening to Kyle Shanahan and had all of these really athletic pieces. So I don't want to take shots on that guy. I want to take shots on the guy who's getting production regardless of the pieces. And I think that Mike McDonald's been doing that. Yeah. It kind of like when people say like when a, a quarterback comes out in the draft and they're like, yeah, but he had great receivers. And it's like, yeah, well, it was still his job to get the ball to those receivers. Yeah. It's still the defensive coordinator's job to get the best out of those great players. So let's throw out the chargers who we feel like have some very good players on their defense and they're not getting the best out of them. The last thing I want to say is yeah, Steve Spagnuolo 1141 over his career and uh, two of his St. Louis seasons went one and 15 and two and 14. So I don't know why I don't remember that at all. Yeah. He in 2017 he was the head coach of the Giants and only oh he I think he was interim that's why he is just four games if I remember correctly yeah in 2017 yeah that was after was what's that his face Jim Tom Sula who was the coach that got fired there that was that real that really bad one like that like that yeah. really bad guy <laughs> you have to be more specific there was a few really bad guys I can also just look on it here and tell you uh, uh, was it it was that's that's too early to be Joe Judge Ben McAdoo. Uh, 
Started Stop. two and ten. Yeah. McAdoo. Last note. <laughs> Just to, to blow Mike McDonald a little bit more. That whole secondary has been super injured, and they're still performing pretty well. All right. Mike, any notes before we get out of here? Not fair that they went from fucking CJ Mosley to Roquan Smith. Um, get, uh, get ready. Get hyped. Get prepared on Saturday coming out tomorrow for all my college football fans. And uh, follow me on Twitter. Yeah. Got uh, three podcasts coming out this week. This one, the Friday pod, and then our first episode of Basky on Saturday. Probably should figure out, uh, do we need different music for that one? Probably, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. Give a, give a little preview. What are some of the things we're going to talk about on Basky? So this week, we are talking three thoughts for the first two weeks of the NHL season. So we'll each come with three thoughts. It's kind of like that Elliot Friedman podcast, but with uh, 29 less thoughts. <laughs> and... For our basketball segment, we are doing a draft of the top 10 watchables on League Pass. Be sure to tune in there. Uh, Trying to keep that one a little bit shorter than this one, but probably won't succeed at that. Beyond that, keep an eye out. Team Talent Alone probably coming out today because I don't want to double stack our uh, feature length articles. Uh, Mike, when's the next pay-per-view? Oh, um, should be Survivor Series coming up in November. No more, no, have, no more in October? No, we also have Full Gear yeah, in November as well. Yeah, Full Gear right? Um, and there's scuttlebutt about them cramming in a December pay-per-view for AEW as well. But we, we will see. They should call it December to Dismember. That's taken. Ah, fuck. All right, with that, only uh, only thing, one left. I think that was... Uh, Mandarin for Big Cock Fox. Shout out to Big Cock Fox.